You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I'm CJ Wolf, Healthicity's Senior Compliance Executive. And today, my guest is Rudolph Green. He goes by Rudy. He's a, a friend and a colleague from my Texas days, and he, he's got a wonderful um, breadth of experience and, and expertise that uh, we hope to, to pick his brain a little bit today. Welcome, Rudy. Thank you, CJ, and um, thank you for having me on. I'm very happy to participate. Yep, you're very welcome. Um, Rudy, one of the things we typically do with our guests is we just have them take a few minutes to introduce themselves a little bit and tell us professionally a little bit about your background and, and some of your experiences, um, if you don't mind doing that before we kind of get into some of our topics. All right, that's fine. Um, I'll, I'll talk about it in terms of how I got into compliance and then my career as a compliance officer. I am a lawyer by profession and worked as an attorney for a company, actually in the cable television business, for over 20 years before coming into um, higher education compliance. When I talk about my, uh, aside from my experience, and I'll talk about that in a minute, when I, when I talk about my approach to compliance, uh, my attitude, I often say, that I was a person before I was a compliance officer. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and, and, and by that, I just simply mean that there were certain things that were very important to me um, that have informed my approach to compliance. And in, in particular, I'll, I'll go back to uh, my undergraduate and then a little bit of my graduate education. My undergraduate degree was essentially in organizational behavior. Ah, that's so great. when I when I look at organizations from a compliance perspective now, I often look at organizations from the perspective of someone who's trying to increase the operational efficiency of the organization and not just looking at issues of compliance. Right. Um, that that in that that informed my approach uh, to working as an attorney. Um, when I was general counsel uh, for a cable television company, it was I did that from the early '80s into the early aughts, 2000 and aughts. Um, and w- one of the things that I thought was very helpful for me, uh, well, let me talk about a couple of things uh, that really helped prepare me for a career as a compliance officer during my work as a, as a as an, a cable television attorney. I don't like just saying cable television attorney because it, it was more than that. Sure. But we, we had a we had a management structure where we had a central management group and very decentralized operations. We had management headquarters in Austin, Texas, but we had cable systems around the country, Alaska, Las Vegas, Atlanta, Washington, D.C. area, and other parts of the country. So I was very accustomed to dealing with issues in a very decentralized environment where you had managers away from the central office 
and who might be undertaking uh, steps and, and making decisions that were not necessarily directed uh, from the central office. Yeah. So I did that for 20-some-odd years. Um, we ended up selling that business. Um, I also have a business degree, which uh, I obtained while I was working, but that was all having obtained an undergraduate degree in organizational behavior. I was always interested in business, and I only became a lawyer because I was interested in being better uh, at dealing with organizations. That we ended up... Go ahead. I'm no, I was going to say that's really interesting. I can I can kind of see. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I can kind of see where a lot of that plays into to higher ed, and I know we'll get to that. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, and you're exactly right. Um, I ended up once we um, sold that business. I was still relatively young and um, wanted to do something else, and I know that I didn't want to work in a law firm um, as a career. I did work in a law firm both immediately following law school and then immediately following um, the, the time in which we sold um, the rest of our, uh, our cable assets. But I knew that I wanted to do something different. I like being part of an, of an organization, another aspect of the person that I am, um, who, who became a, a compliance officer, is I, I like working in groups and, and as a member of a team. Um, right. I played team sports quite a bit during my life. Ended up playing um, football at the college level and actually was drafted by the Detroit Lions. Oh, I didn't know that. Team, team sports have always been really important to me. Group dynamics. Um, that was essentially, I mean, it was organizational behavior, but there was a strong focus on group dynamics. So working in team, as a member of a team and being part of a group it's also been very important to me, which is, I think, one of the reasons that the law firm, um, the law firm career didn't really appeal to me so much. Right. I like the idea of being part of a group and helping an organization or a team achieve its objectives. So those are the types of things that uh, made it easy for me when the opportunity came to, to become a compliance officer. And that did come... Uh, while I was working briefly at a law firm and uh, decided that I wanted to commit myself to the nonprofit sector. Okay. And as it, and as it turned out, the president at University of Texas at Austin was looking, was, was newly appointed, um, this was 2006, 2007, and wanted to reorganize the compliance office at University of Texas at Austin, and to bring in a full-time compliance officer. Okay. And I, I knew a number of people at UT having lived in Austin for the previous 25 years at that point. Um, and when I saw the job description and, and saw that it required um, knowledge of the regulatory environment, knowledge of and, and comfort with dealing with issues in the a regulatory environment, uh, working in a decentralized environment, and working around issues of compliance. Of course, at that point in time, I was looking at it like a lawyer. Exactly. And, oh, compliance. I, I know how to deal with compliance-related stuff. I can do this. Right. <laughs> and they ended up hiring me. And, and, and it, was, it was a great decision on my part. I hope it was a great decision on their part. Well, it was. <laughs> 
now I really see where you were probably groomed for, for many years and where you gained some of the skills that I observed. We met, you and I met it, and when we were at Texas, uh, and I was in the UT system office having come from MD Anderson. Um, but your undergraduate in, in organizational behavior, I just that what a great preparatory uh, discipline for compliance, because really a lot of compliance, yes, it's knowing the rules and regulations, but it's getting people to together, like you said, working in a team and getting a team to, you know, go over some hurdle or or find some solution to a to a problem. Well, I think that people who know me and my approach to compliance, and I'll say compliance and ethics, is that I have a strong focus on culture. I start by thinking about culture. Right. Um, and these other things are, are technical issues, but really you, the most important thing is getting people to do the things that they need to do. That's right. And that's, and there's, and there's something, there's a skill that's associated with that. Absolutely. And I, and I know you've gained it. So we're really uh, pleased that you would uh, share a little bit of that today. Um, shifting gears a little bit from kind of where, where you have had some experience uh, to where your most recent experience, and I know you've, I think, just recently retired from uh, University of Miami. So you're, you have the, the pulse probably of com- higher education compliance, which um, is, is a real thing. And as you talked about, a decentralized type of environment where uh, you have a lot of strong-minded uh, decision makers uh, doing, you know, wonderful things, research and, and other things out, you know, in the in the broader university community. What would you, given kind of some of that and, and your your recent experience both in Texas and Miami, what would you say are um, some of the major risks facing higher education organizations today? Okay, um, I will talk about risk in two categories. One, I'll talk about environmental risk, which is typically um, what people are talking about when they're asking about the risk and risk to an institution, the risk environment. They're talking about things that are out in the environment that uh, that, uh, that uh, create problems for uh, an institution. But I'll I'll also talk about something that I'll describe as programmatic risk. Okay, which has to do with um, the compliance and ethics program itself. Okay. So let, let, let me start by, and that kind of, the programmatic risk issue kind of feeds into another topic that I would like to discuss, um, which has to do with um, what aspects of a compliance program are especially important in higher education. Right. So, so in environmental risk, um, a lot, of course, depends on um, the business when I first came in as a compliance officer, um, uh, one of the things I, I asked myself, and I said, one of the things I have to find out is, what's the business model? Right. How, how does this institution uh, assure its longevity that it will continue to be in business? How does it make itself go? Right. If I was in the private sector, I'd be saying, how do we make money? Right. Um, but um, that's not what I would be looking at. Um, in, uh, in higher education. So uh, I, I had to quickly get an understanding of the environment at UT Austin, which is very different than the environment at the University of Miami. Um, just off the top, um, University of Texas at Austin is a public institution. Right. It has its own set of issues um, 
that relate to risk um, that are not, well, I'll, I'll come back to it, but they relate to risk that's different than in, in, a, in a private institution setting, which is uh, University of Miami. Right. Um, so um, public versus private. Um, when you talk about big issues in higher education, research is a big deal if you're a big research institution. Right. Um, one of the things I, I learned quickly when I came into UT Austin was how important the research arm was to the viability of the institution. Exactly. And viability in terms of how you make money or, or don't money, make money, but also in terms of reputation. Exactly. That, that research is, so risks associated with research are, are quite significant, both in terms of complying with uh, regulations that are associated with um, the grant of money or, or the giving of money by the, uh, the funding institutions, um, but also the conduct of, of researchers. Exactly. Um, and, and, and during their business, uh, I mean, there are a number of things that they have to comply with that are, that are more along the lines of ethical standards a lot of the times, right. but, um, they're, um, but they're reflected in, in actual regulations um, much of the time. So um, complying with the regulations, conflicts of interest within research, and, and it's not just the researchers. One of the things that I really had to come to grips with in one of my experience is how outsiders interface, um, by outsiders, I mean non-employees right. of the institution interface with researchers. And it's particularly problematic if some of these outsiders have positions in the organization that might not be employees, but they could be board members. Right. Uh, and, and people looking for ways to do business with an institution. Uh, that's very problematic, especially in, in a public, uh, excuse me, in a private institution setting where uh, members become, come onto the board for reasons other than political appointment. Exactly. And there's not as much necessarily, uh, not as much uh, legally required transparency as there, as there are, would be in the, um, in the um, public school setting. Right. So research-related um, risks are big. Um, a lot of risks are associated with the political environment, um, one of those risks right now has to do with um, campus safety as relates to sexual violence and sexual assault prevention and response. That's right. Yep. Um, even though um, the, the uh, presidential administration has changed and people suspect that there will be less focus on um, creating and enforcing regulations in this area, the fact is... Um, the genie is out of the bottle. Exactly. I was going to say, it's already been established as a, you know, yeah. as a major uh, area of work at almost all universities. Right. I mean, I mean, today I was just reading about the, the news coming out of Dartmouth. I mean, there are, it, it affects the culture. Exactly. Uh, again, and these issues. And regardless of whether or not there's a regulation directly associated with it, we, this is an issue that we have to deal with from a compliance and ethics perspective. That's right. Uh, and and, and it's, it's extremely important, uh, not only 
because of the politics, but when you look at the demographics of the environment now and see how fast-changing things are, not only with respect to racial and ethnic uh, demographics, but gender demographics. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, this is a very important risk issue, um, like I said, if, if not just strictly related to compliance, but from a, a cultural perspective. Right. You cannot, in today's world, conduct your business free of risk for information security and privacy. That's what I was just going to ask you is if that is something that you're, you know, we, in healthcare, we see that a lot, but in higher ed, it's not just the healthcare side of higher ed, but even, you know, student records and, and just uh, security of information, like you mentioned. Yeah. Student records, financial, financial information. I mean, payment card industry standards. Right. Um, I mean, we, um, as higher education institutions, we're financial. We lend money. We, you know, we give scholarships. We loan money. That's right. We do things like a financial institution, and we have to be. Well, one of the very interesting things as, as an attorney looking at the higher education environment is there are so many regulatory issues and compliance issues uh, because a higher education institution has so many facets. Right. It's almost it's like a mini city. Lines of business. Yeah, it it really it it combines things of like a municipality because it's almost a, a you know a campus is yes. functioning as a little city, uh, academia, healthcare, all of those uh, security, all those things that you've mentioned. Well, it's certainly the case that both when I was at the University of Texas and at the University of Miami, I kind of looked at the president the same way I looked at a head of state. Right. <laughs> And, and for, for different reasons. I mean, the University of Texas, University of Texas at Austin, of course, is the flagship institution right. for a great university system. So that's different. But then in Miami, University of Miami in South Florida is one of the major, is one of the leading uh, uh, employers in the area. And it has tremendous impact in the environment, um, not only in South Florida, but in the Caribbean and South America and Central that's, America. That's right. So it's it's almost like a head of state. Yeah, exactly. So how do those risks kind of tie into, you know, these aspects that are important for a compliance program then in higher education? Well, um, uh, okay, so I'll look at, you know, and I was talking then about environmental risk, and then I'll, I'll, I'll fold it back into the idea of prog programmatic risk. One of the... In interesting insights that the president at UT Austin had when we were having a meeting one time. And he says, you know, one of the things, one of the risks we have to make sure of that we address is that we're doing compliance and ethics program right. Right. Um, because there was some evidence that before I came, there was a half-hearted effort um, to, to comply with some of the local policies about um, compliance and ethics programs. Sure. And um, um, there are just some things that are very, very, first of all, difficult in the higher education environment, and it makes it harder to really uh, have an outstanding program. Yep. First of all, it, it requires resources, a, commit, a, a strong commitment of resources in an environment where res, resources are hard to come by. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a so great point. Yeah. I mean, it, it requires a, a commitment of resources to um, do it right. Um, you know, there's a closely related, because I was going to talk about um, kind of risk assessment and some of the formal elements of, um, of, a, uh, of a program. Um, 
but um, you know, enterprise risk management is kind of closely associated with. We're not going to get into that today, but um, um, I was talking, I was listening at a conference, a higher education conference, and they were talking about enterprise risk management and how big multinational corporations can do it well, but higher education institutions have a difficult time. I mean, risk assessment is difficult in a higher education environment because you have to rely on people, many of whom have no management experience and don't understand the concept of risk. Yeah, that's a good point. So educating the environment about risk is a critical, uh, critical issue for a higher education compliance program. Um, I, I can talk about it in terms of program awareness, but it's really educating people about risk and the, the idea of managing risk. Yeah. Uh, and again, you're working in an environment where you have people who are not trained as managers um, regularly, and they're the ones who are primarily responsible for helping you uh, obtain this information. Right. Well, and, and some of the folks, you know, like when we talked about research, the reason a researcher is typically good is because they kind of break boundaries and they, I mean, the nature of a good researcher discovers new things and kind of, and, and so that, that personality trait, though very valuable when it comes to research, if that bleeds over into kind of a compliance um, area, they might feel like they could uh, break boundaries there as well, which we know they can't. Uh, well, uh, I mean, that's very, very good point. And, um, which is that there's another risk that we rarely talk about um, that was a big risk uh, for me in one of the institutions, and that's kind of this concept of governance. Right. Um, ha- having people who are effective leaders lead the effort. And one of the really critical things in higher education is when you find wrongdoing, doing something about it and being fair in the way that um, the discipline is, is meted out. Right. Um, yeah, a lot of these researchers, they become stars. Exactly. To some extent, they become untouchable. That's exactly right. When, they, when they're bringing in such large, you know, uh, grants and funds, they, they, like, just like you said, they become stars. You know, in, in my kind of past, it's, if I could kind of make an analogy in, in, the, you know, in the physician world, you know, some of those star surgeons or, uh, you know, star researchers, again, they, they become um, so large in the institution's mind that uh, that could be a risk if, if, if they're not allowing uh, the program to affect them as well. Yeah, and one of the environmental risks for certain types of institutions that I did mention before is athletics. Yeah. You see this kind of problem play out in athletics regularly when the head coach of a football team does, or basketball team, right? if we wanted to, Think well, about certain Kentucky and uh, exactly more recent um, uh, uh, events. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, when you you have to you have to make sure that there's in in the NCAA word institutional control. Right. I mean, and, and you have to have that regardless of where the risk is. But they, it's more advanced as a concept when you're talking about um, NCAA Division One. Athletics compliance. That's right. But I mean, it's the same concept: governance, institutional control, and we don't talk enough about how we're governed. Of course, um, um, that same Kentucky institution is in problems with the accrediting uh, agency around issues of governance. Oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, uh, 
Yeah, that's really interesting. So, and I don't mean to kind of cut you short on that topic, but one of the last topics in the in the little time that we have left. Uh, so, if if, if uh, you want to go back to some of those other questions, that's fine too. Um, is given these risks, these important aspects, you know, people are the ones who run the program, the compliance programs. Yeah. What kind of qualities and skills do professionals and compliance officers in higher education need to have, given the risks and the aspects and the programmatic uh, necessities uh, that are out there? What skill, people skills need to be in a compliance officer? Well, I mean, one of the things I often say is that we can talk about being in the compliance officer business, but we're really in the people business. And you can say that about it. A lot of uh, a lot of positions when you're dealing with with the organization. So first of all, it has to be someone who is capable of effectively interacting with people at all levels of the organization, because um, one of the critical components of an effective uh, compliance and ethics program is being able to communicate effectively throughout the organization. So that's vertically as well as horizontally. And the compliance officer has to be able uh, the top compliance officer has to be able to effectively deal with people throughout the organization, regardless of, of their position or status within the organization. So that means that not only do you have to have knowledge, but you have to have the ability to gain uh, the respect uh, of those around you. Right. Um, and in higher in a higher education environment, you know, you have a lot of people that, excuse me. Um, expression of full of themselves. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, 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 and so you have to be able to somehow command the respect um, of leadership within the organization, um, the academic administrative leadership, those who are um, the real influencers of what their position is, because we all know that um, title and position does not necessarily define um, level of influence in an organization. That's right. Um, and you have to you have to be knowledgeable uh, about um, the the issues. So you have to know something about research. Exactly. You have to know um, you know you have to know something about shared governance within higher education and be able to effectively deal with issues um, that relate to this shared governance concept um, in higher education and. And if you want people to talk to you and share information with you, you have to be a person who can keep confidences yes. um, as, as appropriate. Um, I mean, sometimes you have, to, you have to provide information, but other times uh, you have to be able to obtain information in a confidential way and to be able to use it effectively and um, getting your work done. Yeah, and then finally, I'll just say you have to have good judgment. <laughs> you have to, uh, and uh, I, I talk to members of my staff regularly when I was at UTN at University of Miami about the importance of people respecting you for your judgment. If you want them, if you want to influence people, they have to respect your judgment. So, how do you, if that's the case, and I agree with you, how do you uh, teach some people about? exercising good judgment and compliance in higher education if, if you know, let's say they're newer in the profession. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's an interesting point. I had a, um, a kid who was um, in business school come to talk to me a few months ago um, about the idea of having a job in compliance. 
And, uh, you know, he was very upfront saying that, you know, I want to get a job as a chief compliance officer out of school. And I almost laughed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had to, yeah, I had to kind of hold off uh, from chuckling uh, just to get him to understand that there's so many things that you have to be able to do to be a good compliance officer that you can only learn through life experience. Yes. Dealing with people. Again, it's a people thing. You have to be able to deal effectively with people, and they have to trust the things that you do. And that does not happen by by showing someone a degree. That's right. It, it, to me, it, what you just said that, it, it kind of reminded me of what you said at the very beginning, where um, all the years you spent, you know, granted it was a different industry, but you learned skills about organizational behavior, even though you studied it, you actually learned it on the job. You learned how to, you know, work in a decentralized environment. These are all skills that come, I think, probably with only experience. I mean, you can only study it so right. much, and then you actually have to do it and live it for a while before you become an effective practitioner. Would, would you agree with that? I would certainly agree with that. And, and there are a couple of personal attributes that I think are very important also. One is patience. Yeah, good one, um, yes. <laughs> I mean, when you're dealing with faculty members in higher education, you have to be patient because they are not necessarily going to get it Yes, uh, the first time. That's right. That's right. You need to work with people um, and show them that you're well-intended and that you're not out just for yourself, that you're out for the organization. Yeah. And then you have to be persistent because, again, they're not going to get it the first time. That's right. (laughs) That's right. You know, Rudy. Persistence, I think, are two personal qualities that are extremely important as well. Those are great, great things to add. Um, you know, we're kind of coming short on on the uh, on our time here, um, but I want to give you the kind of last few minutes to anything that uh, that uh, comes to your mind or anything else that we didn't discuss that you think is important when it comes to higher education compliance today. Um, I, I would I would only say that, um, um, and it's easy as a compliance officer um, when you're on the administrative side of um, the business of higher education. And you don't, and you're looking at the organization kind of as a business. It's important not to forget why the institution is there, and it's for education and and for our students. Even though uh, an institution contributes greatly to the economy, right uh, of the of the environment, but it, it's important to uh, to keep in mind that you are associated with um, with a higher education institution. So going to graduation and being part of activity that celebrates um, the institution for its primary commitment right. to educate those around it is, is, is very important for a compliance officer. You have to be kind of part of the organization to be effective. And that means not only being good at compliance, but being a good member of the community. Yeah, and, and buying into, you know, and, and serving that greater mission and, and vision of whatever that institution's um, primary purpose is. And as you mentioned, in higher education, it's, it's education, right? It's, it's teaching students right. and people. Uh, there's a lot of these other risks that we talked about are kind of peripheral, um, and sometimes they seem to become the focus of some higher education institutions. So I, I appreciate that you mentioned kind of that culture um, you know, no matter how successful an athletics program or research program, I mean, all of those contribute to this greater environment of educating a student, uh, but they shouldn't, um, now I'm getting, 
on my soapbox, I guess. It shouldn't, you know, replace that, uh, that central purpose. I agree. Well, Rudy, I really appreciate your time. I, I think we have enough, um, uh, you have enough ideas. We could probably do three or four more podcasts. I just appreciate your, your willingness to share some of your experience um, and uh, expertise on these topics. So thank you very much. Well, I, I've enjoyed it, uh, CJ, and I look forward to speaking with you again. Great. So, and to all of you who... Whatever capacity. <laughs> Excellent. Not necessarily as a podcast, but just in, in keeping in touch. I really appreciate um, your willingness to um, share your expertise and to um, provide a platform for, for us to reach others. Well, thank you, Rudy, and, and thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, until our next episode, um, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon.